Holy Spirit, help the speaker. Give understanding to the listeners. And above all, magnify our Lord Jesus Christ for his name's sake. Amen. It's a lovely subject to be asked to talk about, joy. Although today, in particular, joy in adversity. Songs are often connected with joy, aren't they? When we were first married and had our little children, we used to sing with them. Yeah, probably you all remember. You remember the you know, joy, joy, joy. With joy, my heart is ringing. Joy, joy, joy. His love to me is known. My sins are all forgiven. I'm on my way to heaven. My heart is bubbling over with his joy, joy, joy. And, uh, and other ones. You grow up, you find a little bit more, you know. I've got that joy, 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 joy down in my heart and, and that sort of thing. And then there was a rather delightful group. They called themselves the Medical Mission Sisters. And uh, <clears throat> they were obviously working in medicine um, together. And they began to sing. And they had this little song, which was rather lovely. They said, joy is like the rain. I saw raindrops on my window. Joy is like the rain. Laughter runs across my pain, slips away, and comes again. I saw clouds upon a rain mountain. Joy is like a cloud, sometimes silver, sometimes gray. Always sun, not far away. I saw Christ in wind and thunder. Joy is tried by storm. Christ asleep within my boat, whipped by wind, yet still afloat. Some of these are quite lightweight. But what when things go really wrong? When everything around seems well, disastrous and burdensome? Paul said, um, late in the same letter, rejoice in the Lord always, he said. And again I say rejoice. Now, I was thinking to myself, why does he connect joy with God? I mean, it wasn't all that long ago that he had been very zealous for God and with a group of people. And you remember what they were doing? They were screaming and shouting and they were hurling stones at a chap called Stephen because he'd reminded them that right throughout the Old Testament, their history... They had rejected what God said, the prophets that God sent, and now he said to them, you have killed the Messiah, Jesus, who was among you. And they were livid, and they pulled him outside of the temple, they took him outside, they picked up stones and throwing it until they killed him. And Paul was there, encouraging them. But they saw Stephen's face as though he'd been an angel. And, and then Paul had actually heard him say, I can see heaven open. God, the glory of God, and, and Jesus standing beside him. 
as though he was waiting to receive Stephen. And then he said, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And I believe a seed was sown in that heart of hatred and zealous um, hatred, really, that was in Paul, Saul, as he was called then. So that when on that journey to Damascus, he met Jesus. And, and he said, who, who, who are you? He said, I'm Jesus, whom you are persecuting. And then it all began to make sense. He went away shortly afterwards to be on his own, and he read through the Old Testament once again, and again, and again. And the number of times that joy is connected with God. It's absolutely amazing. And the Psalms, I mean, I was looking it up, and an enormous number of references to joy. But listen to this one. This is in one of the Psalms. They prayed, Lord, send forth your light and truth. Let them bring me to the place where you dwell, God. You who are my joy and my delight. And you can see lots and lots of other places. There's a prophecy that the um, Messiah, who God was going to send, had been anointed with joy. And they were saying that the joy of Jesus was greater than anyone else. And they were finding it in God in the Old Testament. Not just when things were going right. There was one time, when, when you read the history of the people of Israel, you know that they had their ups and their downs. And it was a very particular down time. And enemies had come in and destroyed. They'd all been defeated and so on. And there's this servant of God. And he wrote this. Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vine, though the olive crop fails, and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen, and no cattle in the stall, Yet, I will rejoice in the Lord. I'll be joyful in God, my Savior. Paul, having lived as a, and preaching Jesus and telling everyone where he went, don't you realize that there's a power greater than government, than money, than social media. And that power is Jesus. He has been given all authority in heaven and on earth. He is Lord. Now, our word Lord has been sort of changed and demoted. And, uh, you, you, you know, sort of the Lord so-and-so of this castle or that place, house of lords we call it but lord means in, in this sense totally 
in control with all authority, the one who is boss. And Paul had come to know this Jesus. Things had gone wrong for him. He was in prison, looked San Jose probably in Rome, and uh, he got there because he wouldn't say Caesar is Lord. And you know how politicians like to be able to be in charge, and especially in the old days, they, uh, you had to say Caesar is Lord. And that was the thing, and that, that was the, the, the sort of way in which you got the whole empire united and doing the same thing. It was a political necessity. And they say, well, Paul, you, can't you say Jesus is, uh, Caesar is Lord? Well, no, he's not, actually. Actually, Jesus is. And it took a lot of courage to stand up and say that, as it does for us to say where we live and what we're doing. Actually, Jesus is Lord. Uh, I'm following him. Anyway, that's why he got into prison. But while he was there, some people were encouraged and they say, okay, let's go on. And others, it was divisive in the church. And, and, and things were going wrong. Uh, and people were preaching about Jesus, not because they loved Jesus, but because other motives. <laughs> My sons went to theological college and, and he was very distressed by the people who seemed to be working out what is the best way that I can raise up the ladder so that I can become important. Preaching Jesus for Jesus' sake or for me. And this is what they were doing. And Paul was grieved by it. But he said, do you know, I don't mind. I'm just so thankful that Jesus is being preached. Because Jesus is the only one who means everything to me. That wasn't the only problem. The other problem, of course, was <laughs> he was on trial in prison. And he was going to be tried. And it was quite possible that he would be found guilty and be killed. And, and, and that's when you see those words that Judith read to us, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain, which is very far better. I was very moved when our, our son was, uh, he had cancer and um, we knew he was dying. He was there with us and I heard him quoting those words. He said, you know, for me to live is Christ. To die is gain. I mean, like Paul, he, he said, I would love to stay on and look after my family and be with you all. But to be with Jesus is, is far better. So he found that Jesus is the greatest. How was it? What was it about Jesus and him? that meant everything. He says it later on. He says, I consider everything a loss. I mean, after all, he'd lost the position as a lecturer, you know, rabbi. 
He didn't have a home of his own, didn't have a family or business or anything like that. Everything is lost compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. I remember the very first time I actually read those words because they don't come in a King James Version, the old AV King James Version, which I was brought up on and I thought I knew it all so marvelously, you know, I, I, I understood it, all that sort of youthful pride. It said, I count everything that loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord. I thought, that sounds magnificent, doesn't it? Didn't know what it meant. And, and, and then my sister gave me this, what in those days was a new translation, and it said, for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus. And I thought, Lord, I can't say that. I know about you. I know a lot of the doctrine. I've read the Bible lots of times, and I'm, you know, I think I'm doing quite well. But knowing you, and so I thought, well, if I were to want to get to know the Queen, I couldn't just march up, march up to her and say, please, I want to get to know you. It would have to come from her. She would have to invite me in. And I thought, it must be the same with Jesus. And I said, Jesus, please, enable me to get to know you. And so from then on, as I read my Bible in the morning, you know, in a quiet time, and just meeting with him, I'd say, please, Lord, let me get to know you. I don't know how far I've got. I haven't got very far. Because there's still, of course, so much more to, uh, of, of Jesus to get to know. I mean, after all, this is what Paul wrote about who Jesus is and getting to know someone like this. Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And so much more, of course. How can I possibly get to know him? But he is joy. And coming to know him, him life in us, we enter, you see, a totally new world. Before that, I mean, the people around us, their horizon is from the cradle to the grave. But when we come to Jesus, he was there from before the beginning. He's my friend I'm getting to know. And it's amazing. I can see it was all made by him and for him. And he's there at the end. And I'm going to be there with him. And what a joy that will be. Something so much bigger than just a few years living on this earth. Graham Kendrick is a, a singer and a uh, worship leader, songwriter. And he wrote this 
one. And I'm just going to read these words to you because I think it sums up a prayer perhaps all of us could echo. He said, all I once held dear, built my life upon, all this world reveres and wars to own, all I once thought gain, I've counted loss, spent and worthless now, compared to this, knowing you, Jesus, knowing you, there's no greater thing, you're my all, you're the best, you're my joy, my righteousness, and I love you, Lord. Now my heart's desire is to know you more, to be found in you and and known as yours, to possess by faith what I couldn't earn, all surpassing gift of righteousness. Oh, to know the power of your risen life and to know you in your sufferings, to become like you in your death, my Lord, so with you to live and never die. Knowing you, Jesus, there is no greater thing. You're my all. You're the best. You're my joy, my righteousness. And I love you, Lord. Amen.